we are uh, bridging a gap that existed before and now it's actually even worse because those companies cannot do trade shows anymore, travel uh, abroad. We provide them with the opportunity to um, to reach out to some of these buyers. Wherever or whenever we have the contact and the relationship with a certain buyer, either distributor or retailers or so on, then it's much easier for us to bring our portfolio and say, oh, by the way, we have a new product from Spain. This is excellent. Um you know, here it is. So we bridge that gap in a sense. We we kind of bring the trade show to the, the clients. Yeah. And, and not only the manufacturer uh, uh, likes it, but also the buyers. Hello again, food enthusiasts. Um, welcome again to Future Foodcast. My name is Chris Rajkowski, here to talk with another of thought leaders in today's food industry and talk about the trends in technology that are shaping the future of food. Today, I'm very happy to be speaking with Martin Debril from Essence Food, and I'm very sure that the first thing Martin's going to help us do is uh, properly pronounce his family name. Welcome, Martin. Thanks, Chris. First of all, yes, I can correct you, is Dubreuil, uh, but I reassure you that uh, anywhere I've been in the world, no one can pronounce that name except for France, so you're, you're good. <laughs> so Martin Dubreuil, yes, uh, happy to be here today. Thanks, Chris. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Martin. Well, again, welcome. And uh, the way I tend to like to start out these discussions is learning a bit about your backstory and sort of your origin in the food space and what brought you up to the point of starting Essence. Good. Um, I'll try to keep 30 years and two minutes, two minutes at max. Uh, let's start with why um, or my origin in the food business. First of all, I started... Um, a little bit, I would say by accident, um, since I'm 13 years old, actually, in this industry, I've been, or I've, I, say, I keep saying 25 years, but I laugh for the last five years, but <laughs> 25 to 30 years in the business, uh, I was pretty much a kid, started in, a, you know, convenience stores, delivered by, by bicycle, then moving to the local supermarket, and, and, and then uh, at some point, a uh, young adult moving to, um, I've worked with, with Costco Wholesale, which were the, the major league got exposed to uh, the big guys, uh, to international businesses and so on. And at some point in my life, uh, start my international career. I was, I was um, fortunate enough and lucky enough that I had a career, career in, in, in this industry for many, many years and, uh, and had the chance to work in, including Canada, 10 different countries in, in America, Europe, and Asia. So I got exposed to the food business uh, quite a bit uh, in different, uh, different roles in the sourcing, buying, retail, big multinational startup companies, manufacturing, and, and so on. So I've, I've done it all. And uh, that, that's also part of the reason why I started um, Essence Food in, in 2019. So, so the origin of uh, Essence Food is, uh, is also based on my passion for food and, and uh, my, my uh, background in traveling the world and, and, and living in different countries. And basically, um, you know, because you've traveled also the, in many countries, you get to a country, you get to a point where you see a ton of cool product and nice product and something that, you know, brands or, or, or local products, you wonder why I've never seen that before. Mm. It's an exceptional, sensational product. Um, and you talk to some of these suppliers and, and, and manufacturers, and they would love to see their product in the world, but they have no... Uh, they have the ambition, but they don't, they don't have the experience, the capacity, the, the networking or anything like this to make that happen. Mm -hmm. so, so this was actually my, um, my motivation to found Essence Food uh, two years ago. So, okay, let's, uh, 
I don't want to have the big guys like Nestle or P&G. These, these guys are all over the world. So there, there's no need for a company like us. But for small and medium companies around the world, um, there's actually a, a need for them uh, to be promoted or to be helped um, to be exposed to the rest of the world, but not only from this part of the uh, um, the middle, it's actually from, from the consumer point of view. You know, mm-hmm. you go to the supermarket and see always the same thing, but it, it, it's actually good from time to time to see new product, new brands, right. new flavor. So, so the, the, the purpose of, uh, of Essence Food, beside connecting people together, is also to, to make it a discovery. Uh, yeah. Uh, so- yeah. I would say truly an experienced expert um, in the sector. And uh, as you noted, had the great pleasure to um, really experience your market around the world um, and, and now trying to bridge all these gaps. And it's a, it's a great lead into maybe explain to us some of the details about your business today. What is it you're doing for your customers? Uh, well, first of all, our customers are, are two types. Uh, we have, uh, well, we kind of work in, in between, if, if you want. So we work both for the uh, manufacturers uh, or producer or brand owners of, of product that wants to expose their product to the rest of the world. But we also work for uh, retailers, distributors, importers that have the desire to get new product or, or get new sources, but they don't necessarily have the capacity neither the knowledge or the experience to do so. So, so we, if, if, I, if I summarize in, in one sentence, we're in the business of connecting people. We, we mm. connect professional buyer and professional seller in a sense. And, and through the network, Essence Food is not only me or, or, or company, is we, we are currently now with um, uh, different partners. So, so I'll explain how it works in, in a second. But we are at the moment, uh, after two years in 15 countries, we're covering 15 countries in South America, America, um, Europe, and Asia, and, and we have people on site. So what, what I mean by that is we have uh, what we call partners at Essence Food. They are local people that know the local business. They speak the local language. They know or they have their own network there, and, and they have both. The um, They have actually a dual responsibility. One is to uh, source from that country, so source or recruit new supplier or talk to them and, and, and explain about our services and, and act as as a, as a recruiter, they also act as a selling agent for the rest of the world portfolio that we have. For example, the, our guy in Brazil can source a, a very good coffee supplier, exceptional, then we put it in network and the guy in Spain will try to sell it. Meanwhile, mm. the guy in Spain will bring some, some of the uh, Spanish wine or Spanish specialties and try to, um, the, the rest of the, the partners will try to sell this product as well. So, so we, we act as a network, uh, but w- always with the same intention is to connecting people in the food industry to mm-hmm. make it easier for, uh, let's say, to, to reach their own ambition of uh, internationalization. Right. So this is um, increasingly a challenge, I think, is making these connections. And, and you and I discussed before that um, it used to be before the, the COVID times that a lot of these connections would be made at conferences, events where... Right. There could be face-to-face interaction, but not only with COVID, but with e-commerce becoming very important in how people are buying their food. And that creating a situation where you can't get the buyers and sellers together. How how are you bridging that gap for your customers? To begin with, you're absolutely correct. COVID was was a trigger or actually worse in a situation that was already uh, not so good before. Uh, And now I'm talking more to the point of view of a manufacturer, seller, producer, that wants to get into the shelf. Um, 
historically, it's always been extremely difficult to get the attention of a buyer because let's face it, there's only a handful of buyers. They make all the decision that for, for the customer, what the customer will find on the shelf. So, so they have thousands of requests per year of product that wants to get on the shelf. And if, if you're a manufacturer, just trying to get the name of the buyer for your category in a certain retailers is, is a big challenge. Uh, good luck. Um, and if you're lucky enough to get the name, try to get his email or phone number, impossible. So, so you're lucky if you get the chance to even leave a message on, on the, let's say, generic mailbox or email. And if you expect an answer back, it's like believing in Santa Claus. So it's, it's not going to happen. Um, but that being said, this, this was the reality before. And it got worse with the, with the COVID because um, nowadays um, the pe- 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 people don't travel anymore or it's starting again now slowly, uh, but it's not like it used to be two, three years ago. Um, like I said, the, or you mentioned it yourself also, the, the, the primary way to meet new buyers or, or new potential clients was the trade fair, trade shows in different countries. And same thing for the buyers to find new product and new sources, by the way. So people used to go to those big fair like Seattle in Paris and Anuga mm-hmm. in, in, um, in, in Frankfurt and different big fairs also in the US and Asia and so on. And you have thousands of buyers from around the world getting there and, and your product's exposed and, and you know you, you can get the connection. You can meet the buyer face-to-face, get a chance to explain about your company, about your product and so on. Uh, so this was actually a big investment for company, but it was the one of the only way to get new prospect or, or expose their product or their brands. Uh, when COVID started, all the trade shows around the world got shut down. So no trade shows anymore for, for the obvious reasons. Uh, also, no travel. Uh, countries were closed, so uh, it, it made it extremely, extremely difficult now for manufacturer who suffers a lot because they don't have the contact. Um, and, and essence food actually it, it was not started. It was started two, three months before COVID. Mm. Uh, in a sense, we, we always say like, it's difficult for, for our business because we, I mean, starting a company in, in the beginning of the pandemic is not the ideal scenario. But in um, in the other way, we actually found. Um, that we are uh, bridging a gap that, that existed before and now is actually even worse because we provide to those companies who cannot do trade shows and more travel uh, abroad, we provide them with the opportunity to, um, to reach out to some of these buyers. Of course, we don't have the connection to all the buyers. It's, it's a, it's a mm-hmm. you know, progressive thing, but where, wherever or whenever we have the contact and, and the relationship with a certain buyer, either distributor or retailers and so on, then it's much easier for us to bring our portfolio and say, oh, by the way, we have a new product from Spain. This is excellent. Um, you know, here it is. So, so once the relationship and the door is open, it's easier for us to, to enter. So we bridge that gap in a sense. We we kind of bring the trade show uh, to, to the, the clients. Yeah. And, and not only the manufacturer uh, uh, likes it, but also the buyers. Mm-hmm. There are buyers now, especially in China, because it's even worse that they cannot leave the, the country at all. Uh, and most of the time, they don't even speak English. <laughs> so if, if they want to find product, now we bring to them, once we have the relationship, they, they do one or two, three brands with us. Anytime we have something new, we have the attention. So by the way, we have this new buyer or, or this new product now, this new manufacturer, what do you think? Um, so they appreciate that because they don't need to go abroad to find something exceptional for them. Mm-hmm. So in, in a nutshell, this is what we do. In, in, uh, yeah. So yeah. I think you are essentially the trust bridge between buyers and sellers that in yeah. many cases may never have a chance to meet each other face to face. That's correct. That's correct. Interesting. And, so, uh, and you just mentioned that the word trust, actually, this is, an, I mean, we, I can speak for hours about trust here. Uh, 
I always said that this business is all about people. And with, with 30 years of experience, I know you can have the best product in the world, you can have the best prices in the world. But if you don't have the, the relationship, if you don't have the connection, it's very, very difficult to, to do mm -hmm. business. It's all about the trust people have in each other. And if I have a, a customer for many, many years and I do good business with them and I bring a new product, he trusts or she trusts that I'm going to bring something that I've vetted myself before, no? mm -hmm. uh, and vice versa. So, so this relationship is quite important. It takes some time to build, of course, but it's, it's valuable. Yeah. Well, and part of that trust, you know, built up over time, um, still comes from that human connection. Mm -hmm. um, but when you look at uh, not only the buyers, but the end consumers, um, you know, we hear a lot about the importance of transparency these days in supply chain for all sorts of different reasons, anywhere from health, you know, contamination reasons all the way to um, is it organic, is it fair trade, sustainable, et cetera. Um, how do you, how does the importance of transparency in supply chain play into your business? It, it's crucial, I would say, especially nowadays with, with the technology and accessibility of, of everyone. Uh, but I would say transparency means different things for uh, whether you're, you're what I call professional buyers or someone that's doing mm -hmm. it for, for a company or an end user or, or a personal buyer. For, for a professional buyer, transparency also means about uh, do um, do I know about the company? Do I know about the history of the company? Uh, their their records of if they've been fined for anything? Do they have an audit done already by by um, a specialized company, mm -hmm. a recognized company? Uh, same thing. I mean, we're going to talk a lot. Uh, we, we hear a lot these days about uh, supply chain issues and and cost. Uh, Sometimes you have suppliers that that's okay. There's a trend now. Everything's more expensive, so I'm going to go and sell it more expensive. So mm -hmm. uh, sometimes the justification. It is quite important. So, so for a professional buyer, transparency can go uh, quite far into getting the details right. In mm -hmm. in the consumer point of view, of course, this this is important to some level. Um, but I, I think it would be in, in a different perspective, especially on the younger generation, millennials, generation Z. Uh, they care much more about um, the origin of the product, where the, the, mm -hmm. where the product comes from, uh, who's making it. Uh, is this company uh, have a sustainability, sustainability story? Did they do something mm -hmm. good for the world and so on? So, so there's there's much more to be done and, and to tell about, about a product. And mm -hmm. I, I often say, uh, that people don't buy a product, they buy a story. Nowadays, uh, they don't care so much what they, they, to a certain degree, they don't care about prices or, or, or brand itself, but they will care about what this brand is about, what they stand for. Therefore, mm -hmm. having uh, companies with, with um, sorry, <laughs> issues with my, my earplugs now. No um, you have companies now that are spending much more money into um, Instagram and TikToks and, uh, mm -hmm. and influencer because they need to tell a story and, and this is their competitive advantage. If you have a nice story to tell, people will buy your product. Even mm -hmm. if you're more expensive, it doesn't matter, people will buy it. Right. But, and then, you know, as you said, it seems increasingly there's um, interest um, and purchasing decisions being made on, if you will, origin stories of the food. Um, mm -hmm. And is it sustainable? Is it organic? Um, now, you help bridge that trust between producers and buyers, but getting to the end customers is a different thing. You can't necessarily spread that trust to the end consumers. What do you see um, as maybe upcoming um, sort of enablers for consumers to 
understand better what's happening in their supply chain. For example, I think we've talked in the past about blockchain technologies, tracking product you know, through the entire supply chain. How do you see that emerging? Well, starting with, with blockchain, um, I don't see much of. I, I, I know it's a buzzword right now, and it's sure. especially uh, you know focusing on finance and uh, data transfer and things like. In the food industry, people talk about blockchain is is a revolution. I don't see it that much, uh, to be to mm -hmm. be frank and honest. Um, I see it more as an important for traceability. For example, to make sure people uh, give you an example. If if you claim to be organic. Um, mm -hmm. Organic means that you're going to sell your product much more expensive because you have to pay a lot of uh, you right. know, uh, transparency. And and you have companies uh, over the world that's sometimes cheat. They, they falsify this document to become organic without mm -hmm. paying the fees or, or making the work behind it. Blockchain could help into the, these type of certification because uh, you cannot cheat anymore if uh, one organization emit your document certification and your testing, you cannot change mm -hmm. it, you cannot, cannot falsify it. So, so, so in, in that perspective, um, I think for audit purposes for certification, it, it could be uh, valuable, I think is is, a, mm -hmm. is slowly emerging and, and seeing the value of it. But for end consumers, it's actually probably difficult to even trace or, or even take the time to um, to do this on, on a day-to-day -day basis. No? So yeah. you, you have to trust, um, customer will trust their uh, retailers or resellers or even the brands to, to do the right things. Uh, and of course, if you lose the trust once, it's over, especially with the social media nowadays. If you cheat on something and, and your name come up, it's, it's finished. <laughs> your brand yeah. is destroyed. So in something I've seen, and frankly, I've picked up on more just by doing these types of podcasts with people like yourself is there are actually brands out there where, and especially I find this a lot with coffee as an example, there's a lot of interest in the origin story of coffees. Um, and there's a particular brand I bought last weekend. It has a QR code on it, you can scan it. And right while you're standing in the aisle, you, you can see, and it's a bit rudimentary still, it's, you know, there's not fully developed, I would say, but you can see at least theoretically who were the farmers that were you know picking this coffee for you. Yeah. Do you how if that was possible across, let's say, especially for your situation where you're literally moving product around the globe, um, some of the product people might not even heard of before. Mm -hmm. That type of transparency, do you think it would be encouraging for consumers? Would they overlook it? Uh, most definitely, actually, I see it more as a promotional tool. To to, to mm. be honest, more more than than transparency, it is transparency to a certain level. And um, a couple of years ago, you mentioned that now, but uh, this is not a new concept. I've seen mm. it in in, in Europe uh, many years yeah. ago, four, five, six years ago, where we tried this type of concept. And uh, like you said, you you scan and you you can actually pinpoint on the map where the the actual farms, or in right. the case of oranges, for example, which orchard your product came from, uh, but this is actually very costly to do because of, and QR code costs nothing to do it and, and to print, but the maintenance behind it, so, so to update the website, to make sure it's accurate all the time um, and, and to keep changing the information, you need a team, you, you need resources just to maintain that. So therefore it's often seen as, as a marketing tool because like I mentioned before, people buy a story. If, yeah. you, if you buy a coffee and you pay 10, 15% more, but you actually 100% guaranteed 
that you scan there, you see actually, you know, the the the, the face of the farmer with his family, and you can pinpoint and out. This is exactly where it was cropped. Um, that's actually a cool story to tell. Mm. So so again, people buy buy the story. They don't buy the coffee necessarily. It's going to mm. cost probably more expensive and taste more or less the same. Something even worse. Um, but yeah, this you, you're buying something else. You, you're buying yeah, like you a, a feel good moment. I think you know part of my learnings in a lot of these discussions is there's this collision of technology and basic sort of consumer activity happening right now where there's the technology exists to do these things and therefore the technologists are out there doing those things uh, and but now they're colliding with for example people like yourself and brands and they're realizing that well you know that's not really enough you have to people do want this but you have to take this and add some other hooks to it. Mm -hmm. And then it is actually very, very motivational to the consumers, but by itself, sort of the tech nerdy stuff, maybe not selling a lot more. You actually need the, the real experts, the marketing experts on top of this to make it valuable. Exactly, because otherwise, it, it, like you said, it's just the technology. And, and if you, for, for example, we even thought at some point that for, for some product, we um, we use QR code to put a recipe or inspiration. Mm -hmm. so, so especially for new product, people don't know much about. You can scan, see the recipe, the cool stuff, what people use. Like uh, if it's, if it's uh, I don't know, almond milk, you see barista doing their, their cool coffee with it. So, so you can actually use it as a marketing tool. The, what I have doubt about is, is this is, um, I mean, it's, it's a novelty in a sense that people see it the first time they scan it, this is quite cool. They show it to their friends, but is it going to be a, like a, a daily routine to scan your product and right. see what's behind it? Um, that, yeah. This I have some doubt. People need to be entertained. That's for sure. Yeah, because <laughs> it's, if you look at marketing in general, it, most of the time it's actually pushed to customer, not pulled right. from the customer. In that case, the customer need to pull the information. And mm -hmm. um, as, as a customer, I'm a bit lazy, no? So I want to have yeah. my product. I know it costs you know, that much. It's good. I drink it. I'll check right. the story from time to time, but it's not something... Um, that I'm going to be overwhelmed. I, I, on a consumer point of view, they're not going to be bombarded by a ton of information that they don't want to. They can actually go and pull what they want to see, but it's it's not, I think, the human nature to pull as much as to getting pushed. Right. Well, let's, let's step back a bit to the B2B side and talk again about your core focus, which is connecting producers to buyers. Um, buyers, meaning the, the professional, people buyers. In, professional buyers that are buying large quantities of foods for then resale in a retail outlet or e-commerce, et cetera. Mm -hmm. How do you see, you know, these popular issues of sustainability, fair trade, et cetera, driving those buyers' interests? Mm -hmm. is, that, is that realized in the people that you're working with? Uh, yes, to a certain extent. Um, I mean, when we talk about, um, I mean, I put on the same basket, sustainability, organic product, uh, you know, all, all the LT trends and, 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 and so on. There's definitely a movement. It's an increasing trend in the market. That, that's no denying it. There's actually, uh, uh, like if I take plant-based, for example, the, the growth of plant-based product is doubled uh, roughly the, the, the trends of regular food or conventional food. So, so it's mm. definitely, even a small niche is growing extremely fast and thin as, as organic. Uh, the challenge is the, the professional buyers know that they need to have this assortment because there, there's a demand in the market. But it, it, if, if it's realized in the sales of the market, not necessarily. So, so mm. I, I'll explain. So for example, if, if you buy uh, organic product, 
um, and you put this on the shelf. Let's say regular coffee, conventional coffee, and organic coffee, more or less mm-hmm. same origins, same sources. Um, a lot of people and, and a trend say organic is the new thing. So, so you need to buy organic. Even those 20, I mean, it used to be 35, 40% more expensive. Now it's going down, but still 20, 25% more expensive mm-hmm. on average than, than a, gen, a generic product or, or conventional product. Um, but what, what happens in, in the shelf now is uh, when you look at the realized number of the actual sales, you see that the sales of organic um, or plant-based, forget plant-based is a different story, but uh, or sustainability or fair, fair trade product, that the sales of share is quite low, actually, mm-hmm. much, much lower than what uh, the trend would say it would be. And the reason being, uh, and I, I think, uh, maybe not a, an expert on, on, on that field, but um, in the front of the shelf, customer tells, um, I would say, customer have a philosophy. I, I want to buy organic. I know it's the right thing. I want to buy a fair trade if I'm sustainable. But I come on the shelf and I see the prices. And at the end, it's my wallet talking. It's not me anymore right. talking. So, right. so from, from the, the pull perspective, from, from the customer perspective or market trend, organic is a big thing. You, mm-hmm. as a buy, professional buyer, you have to put it in the shelf. Otherwise, you're not relevant and you don't do the right thing. But when it's time to make the transaction, a lot of people will actually leave with the conventional product because of mm-hmm. financial reasons or because they used to that brand, this one they never tasted before. So there's, there's multiple reasons why the, uh, the, the moment of truth at the shelf uh, actually not necessarily reflect what the philosophy is. So, so you see that in, in the numbers of, um, of uh, retailers or, or, or uh, distributors, like the professional buyers, basically. They, they have yeah. to, they, they want to, but the quantity that they move is quite, uh, it's not as, as big as you would think. Right. And well, again, it depends on retailer. If you talk about all food, they're specializing in this. So, right. so it's a different story. No? Sure, sure. And I, I certainly recognize that in some of my own shopping habits um, <laughs> and, and in others. And, and I actually, I do buy a fair amount of organic food, but, you know, when I go and look at the carrots and it's like, those two bags look the same and I'm not, highly um, trusting in the validity of that organic label. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a bit of a deal breaker sometimes. Even people that want to buy it, um, I just from my own experience, and would buy it if they had high confidence, that maybe is a deal breaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. most definitely. I, I think it's, it's a reality. I think one good thing that the retailers do more and more now in manufacture is they're trying to reduce the gap the price mm-hmm. gap between organic and conventional. So, so when the gap is only 5, 10, 15%, then the chances that people would move up or trade up is much more important. You, you even see retailers, for example, uh, I've seen that re- recently with, uh, I can't remember which one, but uh, they used to have regular bananas and organic bananas. And they decided to reduce a bit the organic and remove the conventional from the shelf. So now you can only buy organic. Um, mm-hmm. so, so there's no choice anymore. And, and because the volume that... Uh, having only one type of bananas, then the volume allowed them to negotiate better prices. And therefore, this organic, more or less the same price as anybody else selling bananas in the market. So yeah. it's, it is, I think the retailers are, are doing some, some actions, some initiative that, um, that allow them uh, to push for these type of products. So uh, we have a lot of um, interesting scenarios out there, like you said, with organics, et cetera, and people's buying decisions on that. Um, but something that's you know certainly influencing people's buying decisions 
and really changing how they interact in the buying experience is e-commerce. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one step away from you normally working with a buyer, but the end consumer. How do you see e-commerce really changing the way people are buying food and you know what they consume? A lot, actually. Um, the, I mean, the e-commerce trend was was growing very fast before COVID. COVID was just uh, putting some rocket fuel on top of it, and it just exploded. Um, it's actually interesting because it it shifted a bit the power the the, the balance power uh, mm -hmm. between because as I explained before at the moment uh, still nowadays it's getting uh, better but at the moment we still have a few retailers in the countries uh, country like Canada for example there's only a handful of retailers right. which has a handful of buyers and these one control pretty much everything you see in the shelf. There's a handful of people in the country that control what you see on the shelf. And it's, uh, it's these ones are also controlled by the big guys, like the big FMCG company that has a ton of money to put uh, in, into the retailers to give for their, their own pockets, uh, buying shelf space and so on. And as a retailer, your business, uh, they have a tendency to, to think much more about their own P&L business than mm -hmm. thinking about what a customer really want to see, right? So, uh, so they have an enormous power Online shopping is changing that power a bit now because uh, especially platform like, uh, like Amazon, Alibaba, so some of the big world uh, platform now allows the brands to bypass the retailers and go mm -hmm. direct to consumer. Uh, as long as they have a good logistic behind and most of the time they don't do logistic themselves, but they have also logistic company or these platform offer logistic mm -hmm. uh, like, like Amazon. Um, so they, uh, they can actually market to the customer directly, bypass retailer, uh, so they don't mm -hmm. have to pay a lot of fee for being in the shelf. They can allow, they can they can afford to have much more product on offer for the end consumer. So if you have a brand with uh, twenty different flavors, uh, try to do this on Loblaws or Walmart. Difficult. They're gonna pick you know two three flavors because they have limited shelf space. Online, right. there's no limitation. Well, virtually no limitation. Of course, there's always uh, you know stock issues and where else is that big? But um, there's virtually no limitation of how many assortment you can get into an mm -hmm. online platform. So, so whether the, 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 the brands have their own website and sell direct to consumer or use those platform, they uh, progressively shifting much more to reaching out the customer direct than mm -hmm. in bypassing retailers. So, so there's a big shift uh, happening now. And it used to be that, that um, online business was only five, six, 7% of the entire business. But, mm -hmm. but COVID actually brought this up uh, up to 30% in some cases mm. uh, because people were forced to buy online. Uh, but the good thing is there's a lot of people who in the past were afraid of online businesses for many mm. reasons, for financial security, for I don't know how to use that, to uh, whatever. No? So, so right. young or, old, uh, or older generations. So people didn't dare to, to, to try because it comforts them. But when you're forced to do it, you discover that the, the, the online business actually much more convenient first of mm. all you will find much more product uh something like, like i said discovery new things all the time the prices normally is the same sometimes even cheaper than, than a retailer mm -hmm. you don't need to go out the deliver to your home right. if you think for example the the uh, uh elder people the, the 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 older people in the winter i mean you live in canada now <laughs> yes. so so especially in the eastern part is minus 40 degrees it's snowing outside there's nice everywhere ice uh, on the floor, I'm 77 years old. Do I want to go out and, and buy expensive 
you know, not expensive, but uh, heavy cases of uh, soft drinks or water or juice. Right. No, I, but I can go go online with my fireplace and my hot chocolate and buy the things. And within 48 yeah. hours, sometimes 24 hours, I get this delivered to my home at the same price. So you can shop at the comfort of your home with uh, much more, um, I mean, there's no pressure. We can drink yeah. a coffee, take two hours to shop if you want, put things in the back basket, not sure, I'll wait, maybe tomorrow make a decision. So there's mm -hmm. much more convenience into an online business. There's no, um, there's no price uh, tag that uh, sometimes a bit more expensive, but it's, it's generally the same right. business, but more convenient. Yeah. It's almost like there's this collision that's in process right now of people shifting to online buying um, that also looking for this transparency and some of these tools that we talked about before, uh, while they're maybe not so interesting to use when you're rushing through the grocery store, when you're sitting there having a hot chocolate, exactly. some of these tools may be actually more valuable in the e-commerce side because people have are taking a little bit more time and doing their shopping yeah. at the same time. They're essentially using social media to do shopping. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. You're exactly right. You touched two points here. One is the website itself or the e-commerce itself, it's much more easier to tell a story about the product. Because if you go to, to a supermarket, you mm -hmm. go on the shelf, you see the product, the only story you see is a price tag. Right. Unless you read all the small stuff behind the boxes, most of the time it doesn't tell a story about the who's making it, the supplier, their story, blah, blah, blah. But if, if you go online, there, I mean, there's no limitation of what you can put as, as a marketing. You can explain the product, you can link to recipes, you can give inspiration about to use it. You can explain about the company and why this company is good with the uh, people and what they do for the mm -hmm. environment. There, there you have the story. And, and if you have the time, uh, you take it time to shop, you can learn much more about the brand. You feel confident, you put in your basket, decision is much easier to mm -hmm. make. Uh, the other point you touch is about uh, social media. Uh, and and this, this, I mean, in, in a larger thing, not only in Facebook and Instagram type of thing, but we're talking about uh, TikTok influencers, um, mm -hmm. the phenomenon now of uh, what we call social selling is people saying, oh, I just bought this product now. You guys should buy it too because this brand is awesome. Uh, so, so you have this, um, uh, let's say, social validation online that you will not get in supermarket. You're yeah. never going to bump in someone's supermarket. So oh, buy this, uh, this chicken is awesome. I bought it last week. I mean, right. it happens from time to time, but it's not going to be as good as uh, or, or popular as someone online with uh, this uh, social social proof or social validation of yeah. uh, hundreds of people that put a like or put a comment that this product is good and so on and so forth. So that right. uh, makes a big yeah, difference. I was talking with an entrepreneur, entrepreneur a few days ago who has a, a kind of a boutique-y, rather expensive, you know, very organic product. Um, and she had mentioned that one of the ways that she engages with her customers, you know, because she can't meet them face to face the way she would have done before is actually sharing pieces of her life. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this is, you know, feeding her kids the food, this type of thing. And that authenticity then drives the interest of the of consumers. And that's something you can't even do in a bricks and mortar store unless you're right. actually there talking to the customer. Um, so again, it, it sounds like, you, you know, you're telling a bit of a story where on the e-commerce side, you know, a lot of this technology actually comes together a lot more easily than it could on yeah. a store shelf. And in most fact, definitely. some of it, while it's on a store shelf, might almost be a barrier to consumers buying a product, whereas on, in via e-commerce, 
it, it becomes the positive lever that uh, sellers are looking for. Exactly, exactly. So, so uh, the only thing that is missing, in, in my opinion, uh, um, the disadvantage of online versus uh, brick and mortar is the touch and, and feel, especially for the fresh product. Um, yeah. People like to touch, see, pick their apples, smell the tomatoes. Um, mm-hmm. But I have to say, and, and I'm part of it too, I think is is dying with our generation. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the younger kids, they don't care so much about what the apples smell. They know an apple is an apple and they're just going to order online and they get it and uh, that's it. Right? They, they, they move to something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, so the advantage that retailers have now is slowly dying with, um, with, with the new generation, I would say. Mm-hmm. What makes a difference or what could make a difference is the store experience. If they go to a store and it's fun to be there and I discover and I can taste some product and there's some activities or some event or the, de- the decoration is beautiful and the, the smell and music. So, so the, the actual sensorial experience makes the retailer a bit more valuable than online in that perspective. Um, right. But again, this, in the food industry, may, maybe not as relevant as in the apparel mm. and fashion industry, for example. Sure. Well... And again, back to your business of essence, and you know, obviously, an important part of your business is the starting point, the suppliers. Mm-hmm. How are they looking at all these techniques? Because there are several steps removed of it from yeah. that. How are they looking at possibly being able to convince consumers that they really don't have contact with to buy their product versus you know somebody else's? Um, turmeric from somewhere else that it's produced in India, for example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you see, you see more and more uh, manufacturers or brands that wants to invest, uh, and it's part of their, um, let's say, cost centers or anything to 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 build marketing, um, but but not marketing in the sense that I, I want to post newspaper or, or um, traditional media, but they want to think about uh, can can I hire um, an influencer, for example, or some some specialized social media and Instagram account that we can build for that country. For example, if, if a brand in Spain want to, to export to Canada, um, they more, more and more now, they want to build the, the social community around their brands to be able mm-hmm. to talk to the customer directly. Uh, but you can only do this if you have uh, a substantial distribution. You need, so, so you kind of need to work these things in parallel because if you just bring the product to a distributor or an importer in Canada, and the brand is not popular, people will not buy it necessarily. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. need that kind of support uh, from the brand to, to build a brand image, to bring the, the, to, to build the, the social community that people start demanding that product. But if, the, if you do this before having the distribution, then uh, it's complicated because people want it, but you cannot access it. So you're yeah. kind of losing your time and money and frustrate customers at the same time. So, so it's a bit of a complexity because we, work, we have to work uh, in this process in parallel. So when we're talking with um, sometimes importers, big importers or, or distributor, we often talk about, okay, it's good that we're going to bring the product, but we need to discuss also with, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a two ways or three ways discussion about how can we bring the product and market it at the same time? Mm-hmm. You know? So, so there, there, there needs to be a plan behind it. Not only I bring the product at the cheapest cost and try to sell it, because unless it's a commodity, I mean, if you bring a sugar or pasta, chances mm-hmm. are it's, it's going to sell anyway. People don't need to know. But if it's a, something, maybe a new plant-based uh, drinks mm-hmm. or, or functional uh, beverages or something like that, then you need to be able to explain it. It's all about the brand. It's all about what, what people believe. And nowadays, um, people don't, don't watch TV anymore or a newspaper. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you look at any typical family now with, with teenagers or kids, 
how many TVs, you, how many people you see in front of the TVs? Almost no one. They have a phone, they have a tablet, and they have a computer. So, so the, the the brand need to be present in these screens. So, so not on TV mm-hmm. screen anymore, newspaper. They need to be on TikTok. They need to be on Instagram, right. uh, Facebook feed, and so on. So, so, so the brand needs really to develop that part of the business. Yeah. And that's something we, we coach them a little bit sometime on because it's different from market to market. What, what is uh, most popular or what talks to people in Canada is different than the way to approach uh, in, in China, for example. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, it sounds like also, you know, as we talked about um, social media, e-commerce, um, having a strong impact today, um, and some of these other technologies allowing people to look back through the supply chain that may also bring those original producers forward into the e-commerce side, even if they're not, even if you're a component of you know, you produce the cacao that goes into a particular chocolate bar, they still could be contributing I guess, to the sales of that. I could see a lot of synergies happening there with the technologies bringing the supply chain together. Yeah, hmm. most definitely. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I would say it's always a teamwork because everybody, everybody should uh, chip in and, and work in developing the, the customer awareness yeah. about who they are and what they do. Well, we've talked a lot about the, I guess, sort of the impact of COVID and for businesses like yours, in some sense, it's actually been a rather positive impact on it. As you see the world, I don't know if I would say emerging from the COVID situation, but say progressing into whatever the next phase is, yeah. what what do you see as being important for your business as, as you follow and help you know, in fact, help create some of the trends in the food sector. What do you see coming over the next couple of years on the technology side and food trends that's going to be important? Well, in one way, and, and reverting back to some of the points I had before, um, I, I think we need to be able to reach out customer in a different ways than, than we used to. Uh, in the past, like I said, the, the, the retailers were uh, the power holder. Uh, these are the decision maker that what's going to happen in the country. Nowadays, shifting. So we need to, to coach and train and help and support those, those manufacturers wants to promote their product to find the proper channel, pro- pro- proper way to manage it. And, and that's something that we are exploring more and more now is uh, we don't necessarily want to talk to retailers anymore. I mean, if we have the contact and we have a good potential and we have the relationship and we think it, it makes sense, then we do. But we're trying to reach much more uh, distributor that have already platform online and can reach out direct to the customer, um, either through through um, um, end, end consumer platform or through business to business, B2B. So distributor that goes in a small local shops, for example, a restaurant mm-hmm. um, or, or little shops or hotels and things like that. So, so we, we have a tendency to go much more in, in this segment of the business because they, these are the ones that are much closer to the end consumer. Therefore, uh, the consumer can actually uh, have the chance to experience new brands, new taste, new product, uh, much more than if we if we wait for a retailer to make decision. And um, it's unfortunately sometimes a question of money because if if mm. a shelf of a retailer or supermarket is that big and Nestle is already there, uh, good luck if you want to kick them out, right? right. <laughs> because there's a lot of money behind this uh, the shelf mm-hmm. that it's it's kind of purchased. So even if you have better product, cheaper extraordinary then it's it's a, it's a bit of a political game also you really sure. need uh, to be exceptional the good way of, of um, getting new product in the market is to create a demand so if we if we start from the bottom from the smaller guy from the internet platform social at some point the brand is going to be so popular that now 
the retailers can is knocking in your door say can i have it too because mm -hmm. that, that that suddenly now a lot of customer wants it it's very popular so it's, that's a good way to build a brand in the market not from the big guys but from the smaller guys first and then from the customer consumer point of view right well, I think we've been able to explore a lot today, and I really appreciate your time, you know, especially with your experience all over the world. Um, we're not just talking about, um, you know, a, a small region, but really bringing all this knowledge from everywhere in the world together. Really appreciate you uh, spending time with us today on the Future Foodcast. Well, it was a pleasure. <laughs> like I said, and, we can talk for hours. And, and, and we may very well do this again, but maybe for our audience, um, if you could pronounce your name, your family name one more time, that would be great. <laughs> My full name is Martin Dubreuil. Well, thank you very much, Martin, from Essence. Um, really happy again to have you today and looking forward to having you with us again in a future podcast. And likewise, thank you, Chris. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcasts. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. Thank <laughs> you.